Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. Glad that you are with us. We're in part two of the problem of God. If you missed part one, you can go to onechurch.tv or download our app. And please, I encourage you to catch up with that message if you were not here to, to kick off the series with us. If you were to conduct an interview or do a man on the street interview like we did uh, in this video here, we didn't do it like they did in that video, you'd see that most people have problems with God and a lot of those problems can be fixed, can be put into about five or six different boxes, five or six different categories. If you All the survey data that, that's been done on this issue shows that people have basically a couple of issues with God. They have an issue with the idea of evil and suffering. People want to know if why do why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to bad people? People want to know what's the deal with the church and hypocrisy? Why do Christians say one thing, do something else? And we know that's not a Christian problem. That's a people problem, right? All human beings deal with that. And we're going to address some of these in a few weeks. There's the problem of the church and sex. People think, man, you Christians are weird about that stuff. What's the deal with that? We don't want anything to do with the church because uh, of the, the hangups and the issues related to that. The problem of God in the Bible. Is the Bible true? Is the Bible accurate? How can I trust it? We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. Last week, we wrestled with, I think, the most important issue in a conversation like this is the problem of God's existence. And, and we discovered last week that we should follow the evidence to where it leads, not to where we hope it leads. We should follow the evidence before we follow our feelings. Today, we're going to talk about the problem of God and science. It's going to be a little bit of a part two, maybe of, well, it is part two, but a little bit of a deeper level of what we started talking about last week. We're going to be in Genesis chapter one, make that very easy for you to find the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter one. We'll get there in just a few minutes. Last week, I shared with you all that I grew up in church, uh, very church background, grew up in church. And that doesn't mean I was following Jesus with all my heart for all of that time, but I definitely knew about church and churchy things. Literally, my earliest memories are being in a church-type environment. And, and we were there all the time, and, and we knew it was Sunday in my house because my mom had some rituals for Sunday, some Sunday rituals. Any of you have a Sunday ritual? She had a, this rhythm. She, she'd play the same loud gospel music we knew when we heard some Andre Crouch on the radio or, you know, some, some Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir or something like that. We knew, yep, it's Sunday. She didn't care that I was asleep, by the way. She just cranked it up turned it on. My mom started cooking our Sunday lunch or Sunday dinner. Sometime between 4 a.m. and 7.30, she would start preparation for that meal. So it always smelled really good um, uh, early in the morning. But just we kind of had this rhythm of life. And we grew up in a tradition where in the mornings, especially Sunday morning, we would say, thank you, Lord, for waking me up this morning. Have you ever said that? Thank you, Lord. for. Aren't you glad that you woke up this morning? That should be every hand. We're not moving forward in this message till every hand is up. That thank you. Sorry, introverts. Just I'm an introvert too, but you need to participate in this awkward exercise. Hands down. Thank you. You should be thankful that you're awake, right? Uh, not to make light of death, but someone didn't wake up today, and that's a, that's a sad thing. So we should be thankful that we woke up in the morning. How does that happen? How do we wake up? What's that process look like? Here, here's what happens. While you were awake yesterday, high sodium channel activity took place in your circadian neurons. Then while you slept, thanks to the buildup of high potassium channel activity in those same neurons, that sodium backup began to spin around kind of like a bicycle wheel, almost like a bicycle pedal until at the right moment, bam, you woke up. So thanks high sodium channel activity for waking me up this morning. Thank high sodium channel activity 
for waking me up this morning. Which of those statements makes you uncomfortable? Thank you, God, for waking me up this morning. Or thank high sodium channel activity for waking me up this morning. Which is the second one for most people, right? Unless you're in, in the nerdy class. The second makes you really, really uncomfortable. Thank you, God, for waking me up this morning. Or thank high sodium channel activity for waking me up this morning. Does one statement negate the other? Is one statement true or is one statement false? It's a tension. When we think about that, we want to thank God for waking us up, but the process God used to wake you up was high-sodium channel activity. And both of those things are at play in our lives. Have you ever found yourself wondering about or, or believing that science and the Bible are in conflict? That if I believe in science, I can't believe in the Bible. Maybe you're, you're here and like me, you came up in a fundamentalist form of, of Christianity uh, that really is, is not that keen on intellectualism and using your brain. It's basically, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. You know, that's kind of the way that I, that I grew up. That anything outside of the 66 books of the Bible, it's rubbish. That's the only thing you need to focus on is what's in, in the Bible. And I believe the Bible is important. But that form of Christianity that says, turn off your mind, relax, and float downstream, like that's way closer related to, to Eastern mysticism than it is actual biblical Christianity. The Bible says to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I can't love God with all my mind if I'm afraid of my mind, if I'm afraid of thinking. When I, the church I grew up in, if I would have said, thank high sodium channel activity for waking me up, they would have called me a witch and kicked me out of the church and like, what is that heresy? What are you talking about? That mumbo jumbo. Maybe you're here and the notion that God woke you up is rubbish. You don't even believe that there is a God. You don't believe in God's existence. There's, there's this war happening in our cultures, and in, if we're honest, in a lot of our lives, that says, if I believe in science, I cannot believe in God. Have you heard that before? If I believe in science, I cannot believe in God. What if I told you that that statement is a myth? What if I told you that every ology is really a branch of theology? Theology is the study of God. And the more I dig into sciences, the more I realize it just points me back to this awesome, great, big creator God who knows me, who sees me, who cares about me. What if I told you that believing in God and believing in the Bible is actually very rational, logical, and scientific? And what if I told you that most of what we believe when it comes to the way the natural sciences work actually takes a whole lot of faith, a whole lot of philosophy? We've kind of got it flipped upside down. If you have a problem with God and science, let me give you some good news today. Faith and science are not enemies. Faith and science are friends. You don't have to check your mind at the door when you say yes to Jesus. You don't have to ignore the physical evidence that's around us in order to follow God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The fundamental issues of humankind are all about this never-ending quest to find truth. On one side, some people say that there is no truth outside of what can be tested scientifically. Moreover, naturalists, they say there is no truth outside of what can be measured by the natural scientists. On the other side, folks say, ah, what is truth? There is no truth. Truth is subjective. I believe that truth is found in the tension between these two options. In fact, when it comes to 
faith and science, we need to understand that both and is healthier than either or. Having a both and mindset is actually healthier for us than either or. For example, it cannot be scientifically proven that life after death is possible. You can't prove that using a strict scientific method. However, you can't prove that it's impossible either using the same methodology. It cannot be proven. It cannot be answered by science alone. Anyone with an understanding of the way the mind works, we call that cognition or or personality or human development or perception or even uh, maybe a deeper understanding of theology, all of us know that something inside of us, there's this unseen element that goes on in us that just can't be explained with very step-by-step scientific methodology. We know that, right? Couples who are in the room, how do you know that you're in love? You didn't run an experiment, right? You didn't develop a hypothesis and then have a control variable and variables that you tested. And I hope you didn't have a bunch of variables when you're trying to figure out if you're in love. Or you didn't run an experiment. You just knew, right? You have a little baby. All the evidence says that that thing is out to destroy you, right? For the most part, like taking away my sleep, taking away my money, getting me all messy, right? And yet, no matter the mess, you look at that baby and you love You would do anything for that little child. Yes, the child that just threw up in your mouth a little bit. You would do anything for that. But where does that come from? That You can't prove that through scientific method alone. Just We talked about this last week. The idea of the soul, the subconscious. You cannot prove that any of that exists through the scientific method. But you can't disprove it either. The point is, I believe those things exist. But I think they exist in partnership with and often above what we actually see in the current laws of science and reasoning. Faith and science are friends. In fact, uh, Alan Rex Sandage, great astronomer, one of the greatest astronomers to ever live, uh, 20th century legendary astronomer. Here's what he says about science. He said, it is my science that drove me to the conclusion that the world is much more complicated than can be explained by what? Science. The scientist of all scientists said, listen, at the end of all my studying, I realized this won't explain everything. Kerry Newhoff says this, naturalism says religion is an aberration, something we invented to make ourselves feel better for our survival, but something that is also untrue. Some say that line of thinking exposes a flaw in naturalism. If you can't trust your rational faculties to tell you the truth about God, then you can't trust your rational faculties to tell you the truth about evolutionary theory either. It becomes a logical contradiction. What I'm saying is you can't say scientific method disproves this or it can't prove that without creating this contradiction in yourself because faith is really at play in what we decide is true or untrue and what we decide is rational are unrational. You guys still with me? Faith is such an important part. They work together. Most of the arguments against faith and science working together are not scientific arguments. They're philosophical arguments. They're feelings-based arguments. It sounds familiar if you were here last week. They're arguments based on what I want to do. They're not rational. They're, they're actually irrational ways that we justify believing what we believe and following what we want to follow. I know that science tells me I shouldn't drive 85 miles an hour in the rain on the 101st Parkway. 
And you know it too, sitting there with your judgy looks like you've never done that, like you didn't do that today. You know it too. Science tells you this is how you get into an accident. Physics tells you this is how you die faster, drive faster, right? This is the difference between a broken leg and just being gone, right? So not trying to, that might be a wound for some of you in the room. I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just telling you, scientifically, rationally, we know that cannot be good for me. When you pick up your phone while you're driving 55 miles an hour, science says you are a dummy. But you do it anyway, and I do it anyway because there's some other power, some other thing working in us that makes us decide, well, this is okay for me. So what I'm saying is that that internal thing inside of us works hand in hand. It's not just one or the other. It's both and. We discovered this last week, saying, I just don't believe your evidence is not enough. In science, in order to disprove something, you have to have counter evidence. And just like there's no counter evidence for the existence of God, sure, there's philosophical evidence, there's arguments that people make, emotional evidence, but there's no scientific evidence that, that proves God doesn't exist. In the same way, there's no counter evidence to say that faith and science can't work together, to say that faith and science don't work together. So what do we do as we're trying to reconcile this tension that we live with? How do we, where, where do we, how do we get past this roadblock for so many people? I think if we start at the beginning, it helps with everything else. If we start at the beginning, it settles some of the arguments that we have about God, about his existence, about who we are, and all of that. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. This is the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures found in your Bible. It'll be on the screen or the Version app. If you have a big Bible with you, a paper Bible, and you can see it, just turn to the beginning, right? Go a little bit past the table of contents, and you're there. Genesis 1, here's what it says. These are the first words of the Bible. Powerful. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I love that. The Bible starts with the main thing. In the beginning, who? God. Wherever you're at in life, whatever you're struggling with, I think if you just go back to the beginning, it'll help you. In so many ways. In the beginning, God. He created the heavens and the earth. You can use logic to defend the authenticity and, and the authority of Scripture, and we're going to do this in a couple of weeks. You can actually use reason and history and science, and you can, you can kind of show here's why we can trust the Bible. But we have to remember when we look at the Bible that it's also a theological book. Theology is the study of God. So yes, you can look at the Bible as a text and study it like we study textbooks, but you also got to remember there's this God factor happening inside of this book. It is the source of our reason and our logic because Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the creator of all things. He's the highest of all high. So we know that this book is powerful. Why would I bring that up in a talk about science? Because we have to understand the Bible doesn't exist to prove Science. However, science confirms that the Bible is true. I think that's pretty awesome. The Bible doesn't exist to prove science, but science confirms that what the Bible is true. That if you study psychology, for example, or sociology, human behavior, the way that we behave, we discover pretty quickly that people can be nasty, right? People can be rude. People can be ugly. And we can spend hours studying in the social sciences to figure out why. We can also just look to the Bible and see, oh, yeah, the Bible's been saying that forever. This guy went to school and got a degree for six years just to tell me something that the Bible already said. The Bible's not a psychological textbook, but it'll confirm what psychology is saying. You with me? Y'all awake? 
Make sense? So science alone, science alone, the natural sciences alone, they need something else to explain the deeper things in life. Science alone cannot explain the origin of the universe, the fundamental laws of nature, the fine-tuning of the universe, the origin of our consciousness, or like we talked about last week, morals, rational, those internal things that drive us to know this is good and this is not good. Science alone cannot explain those things. I encourage you to pick up a copy of Mark Clark's book, The Problem of God. I think you can buy it on Amazon for like nine bucks. We don't have them for sale here, but I encourage you, pick up a copy of that book because it goes way deeper than we could ever do on a Sunday morning, and it's very easy to read. It's an, it's an easy read. You can buy the audio book of it, listen to it. It's a great, great book. If you want something a little more dense, there's a great book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Yes, some of y'all got that joke. Some of y'all will you're worth waiting for. You'll get it in a little bit here. But this, I don't know. It, those are two great books that go really deep, way, way more than we could do on a Sunday morning. But they're basically arguing these same concepts. They go way more detail. But bottom line is that science alone cannot explain all of these things. But science and faith can. We put science and faith together as the friends that they are. We realize, oh, there are some explanations for these deep things. There's a... a, a a theory that's used in the world of cosmology that's, ar- without a reasonable doubt, it argues some, some serious truths. And even the most staunch atheist scientists, they still hold these three propositions. Here they are. Proposition one, the universe had a beginning. Number two, the beginning of the universe was caused. And most importantly, number three, the cause of the beginning of the universe was personal. This is in the, in the world of natural sciences, especially when you're looking at the stars and all that, this is widely held by even people who don't believe in God. The universe had a beginning. The beginning of the universe was caused, and the cause of the beginning was personal. So even though the, the elements of the second law of thermodynamics and the Big Bang theory, they all support these truths. The universe had a beginning. They only make sense, logic, in view of Genesis chapter 1. So those scientific things that we can study, they only really make sense in view of this great book of faith. You with me? Let's look at it. Genesis 1. Go back. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and empty. And darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Verse 3. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the first day. At this point in the message to talk, you're probably wondering, Carla, what in the world does this have to do with me? Thank you for this big old nerd session, but what's the point? First of all, catch me outside with all that nerd talk. Second of all, here's what it has to do with you. Walsh and Middleton, they suggest that everyone has a worldview shaped by the answer to these four questions. Every human being, whether they hate God or love Jesus, they all have these four questions driving their existence. Who am I? So what is my purpose is the first question. Who am I? What is my purpose? Where am I? So what's the nature of the universe? What's the nature of the world? Not where am I literally like you're in a theater. No, where am I in this big soup of humanity? Number three, what's wrong? 
what's wrong? Basically, what keeps me from fulfillment? What keeps me from being the best that I can be or from moving towards my purpose? Why is there evil in the world? Why is there pain? And again, we'll talk about this next week. What's wrong? And then number four, what's the remedy? How do I find salvation from what is wrong? So question number four is all about how do I fix question number three? And all humanity is driven by this. This is what humans get up and do. Our going to job, our having kids, our getting married, all the things we do are really our quest to figure those things out. And the answer to those questions cannot be, it can't be figured out by science alone. The natural sciences alone come up short in answering all of those questions. But with some faith, all of a sudden they start to make sense. Let's look at Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, so this is fast forward. God's done a bunch of creating. He's created a bunch of stuff, animals and all that. And then he gets to what I think is the main thing. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Married couple said, amen. We said, yes, that's awesome. Right on. Fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the cats in the closet. Right? I'm just making sure y'all are with me. It doesn't, say, it doesn't say cats in the closet. It actually says let those things just, never mind. Uh, all the animals that scurry along the ground, right? So cats are included in that, along with roaches and rats. All the animals that scurry along the ground. Verse 31, then God looked over all that he made and he said it was what? Very good. Up until this point, everything God has created and made, he saw it and said it was good. But once he made us, he said it's very good. Now, a lot of people get hung up over whether Genesis 1 is describing a literal seven days of creation. And I have an opinion on the matter, but I think we mess it all up when we try to make the Bible a science book instead of understanding what is the Bible actually trying to to say. To put it another way, rather than focusing on the how and the what of creation, I think it's helpful to focus on the who and the why. Rather than hanging out so much in the how and the what of creation, we should focus on the who and the why. Who created and why? Don't get me wrong. I do believe that a literal atom is very important to our, our faith, and, and, but I still think the who and the why of creation should rule above the how of creation. And the reason I believe that is because Christianity does not depend on a literal, historical, scientific, or figurative interpretation of Genesis, what we just read. Christianity doesn't rise or fall on someone's opinion of that. Christianity is all about one event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're in this room because a man lived and said he was the son of God, and then he said, I'm going to die and rise again in three days. And guess what, y'all? He did it. And for thousands and thousands of years, billions and billions of people have given their lives 
to promote the truth that the answer to our problems is found in this man who rose from the dead. It doesn't mean Genesis isn't important and that we shouldn't get from it. It doesn't mean that it's not authority. It doesn't mean that it's by what it means is that what you feel about creation has nothing to do with the fact that Jesus is alive, that God demonstrated his love for us by having his son die that we might have this great relationship with him. Christianity doesn't crumble on your gap theory or six-day theory or framework theory of creation because Christianity wasn't built on any of those theories. Now, all that being said, I am a qualitative researcher by trade. Many of you don't know this about me, but I'm kind of a nerd. Don't laugh too hard. I can see where you're at. I'll, I'm saved, but I'm not soft. You know what I'm saying? I'll... I know how to choke folks. I wouldn't choke you, though. I love you. Jesus loves you. I'm, I'm a nerd. I have a PhD in organizational leadership. I'm a qualitative researcher. None of this that I'm telling you is about boasting me and look at Carlo, how awesome he is. There's a point to what I'm saying. I have several peer-reviewed scholarly journal articles published with my name on them. If you've ever done research in college, you know what that means and how to do that. I've got several of those things published in journals and all. I, I do the stuff. I am not some snake-handling, crazy spiritual kook whose mind is turned off is what I'm trying to tell you. I'm a scientist. I'm that guy that's really fun at the party when you're telling your story, and then I say, actually, here's the facts. You know the one that you love to hang out with? That's me. I'm that guy. Facts are your friends. Some of y'all need to make friends with facts, but that's for a different sermon altogether. Facts are our friends, and I'm just the guy. I'm the fact checker. I'm the guy that's going to tell you, hey, you, no, that's wrong. No, that song didn't come out that year. Like, I'm just that annoying of a nerd. I don't correct, like, grammar, because that's what Satan does. I'm not about that life. We call them grammar Nazis for a reason, because is there a worse human being that ever lived than Nazis, right? So, that, so that's why we call them grammar Nazis. So I'm not down with that, but I will tell you, yeah, that story is total garbage. That's not true at all. That's not the way, that's not the way it works. I'm, I'm just that guy. So I'm, I'm, I'm a scientific guy. It's what I actually do for my vocation I preach sermons, and I read books, and I do qualitative and quantitative and mixed methods research, and I teach in college, and, and this is kind of what I do. And I'm saying all that to say, as a scientist, no matter what theories are out there about, is Genesis true? Can we trust it? As a scientist, especially one who specializes in socio-rhetorical criticism and qualitative research, basically looking at words and making sense of those words, I tell you as a scientist, I cannot read Genesis 1 and come away with anything other than, yep, that's really what happened. To do anything else would be to violate the key principles of science. It'd be to violate qualitative research principles. It'd be to insert meaning into something that that's not what it says. You with me? I can't take 19th and 20th century modernism and 21st century postmodernism and insert them into the Bible to manipulate the Bible to mean something based on what we now know. I can't do that. I have to say at the end of the day, here's what it said. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we're killing ourselves trying to figure out why everything started. And right here in this timeless book, we have some evidence that actually helps our theory make sense. The early church, they got this right. When I say the early church, if you're kind of new to, to, to church life, I don't mean like the eight o'clock service. I mean the early church, like when the church was 300 years old, around 300 years old, a group of Christ followers, they, they were gathered together in what we now know of as Turkey, and they, they had to flesh out some tough issues. Basically, they had some problems with God, and they had to figure it out. 
Who is Jesus? Who is God? How is Jesus, How do we live this thing out? And is there is what is there truth? They they were wrestling with all these things, and in their debate. In all of their revisions, they finally landed at a very important place that I think if we start there, it helps us reconcile faith and science so much. Here's what they said. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. We believe in one God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And invisible. Before they talked about anything else, before they got into Jesus being the Son of God, before they got into the Virgin Mary, before they got into the Bible and Scripture and the communion of, of the, the Christians and saints and people living together and eternal life, and before they talked about any of that other stuff, what did they start with? In the beginning, there was a creator who made everything. That's what we believe. How he made it, what happened during the making, that's not the main stuff. Is it important? I think so. But it's not the main thing. The main thing is the who and the why. How about you? Where are you at today with faith and science? Have you ever found yourself wondering or believing that these two things are in conflict? Have you ever battled in your mind and not sought the help that you need because you thought to go and talk to a social worker or a psychologist would be a lack of faith? Have you ever thought, if I take this medicine, I'm going to be denying the healing power of God? What if I told you that's rubbish? What if I told you that every ology is a branch of theology, that God can use all of those great things we see in the scientific world to lead us and appoint us to him? Let me encourage you to follow the evidence before you follow your feelings. Follow the evidence to where it leads, not to where you hope it leads. Because those four questions that shape all of our worldviews, they're actually answered, not in the natural sciences alone, but they're actually answered in this great creation story that we just read. Who am I? I am made in the image of God. Where am I? I'm in creation that was intended for good and that at one time was good. What's wrong? We'll cover this next week, but the short answer is sin messed everything up. Evil messed everything up. And what's the remedy? Jesus. The remedy is in the beginning, God created me on purpose for a purpose, to live out his purposes. And he knows that I can't do that on my own, so he sends his great son to rise again for us, to die and to rise again for us, that we can live according to his purposes. Let me encourage you to reject the truth, reject the, excuse me, reject the myth that says science and faith are in opposition. Instead, embrace this awesome truth that every ology is a branch of theology. The two can work together. You can see the beauty of God in creation. You can see the beauty of God in the way the human mind works. You can see thoughts actually being formed through brain scans and things now. When the Bible tells us to be renewed by the transforming of our mind, that's actually a thing that we can watch happen now thanks to technology. That's pretty cool. You're telling me something Paul wrote in the first century? I can get a brain scan and actually see it happen? Yes. That's mind-blowing. They can work together. So how do you live it out? This is a lot of 
heady stuff, and, and thank you for indulging my nerd out there for a little bit. But it's important, I think, for us because many of us have friends. We have colleagues. You might be in this room right now. We have people who are struggling with faith. They're struggling with God because they think they have to pick a side. And I'm telling you, we don't have to pick a side at all. Both of these things can exist together in a wonderful, beautiful way when we understand that it all is about this great God. So how do we live out the big idea? Real quick, how do we live it out? What do you take home? First thing is we need to be humble. We need to be humble. The prophet Kendrick Lamar told us about this. He said, sit, he said, sit down and be humble, right? You need to be humble. Because here's the truth. You don't know what you don't know. Some of y'all, that went way over your head. You're proving my point. You don't know what you don't know. Be humble. You don't have to have all of the answers to the world's suffering. You don't have to have all the answers to the pain of, or why did you go through that horrible thing that you went through. Because here's the truth. If I gave you the answer, it wouldn't fix anything. It wouldn't change the truth that you still went through that. It wouldn't change the truth that the world is still a messed up place. Even having the answers, you got to let go of feeling like you always have to be right that you always have to have the answer. Now I'm preaching to myself. I'm getting a little nervous here. I need to move on. You gotta let it go. You don't know what you don't know, so be humble. Approach life that way. Second thing is stay curious. Stay curious. Don't run from scientific discovery. Don't run from nature. Men, go to the doctor. Get that thing checked out. It's not going to get better by you just drinking water and hoping that it gets better. Go see a scientist, that's what a medical doctor is, and let them help you out, right? God will use that scientist to lower your blood pressure, right? Eating fat-free candy is not a solution to what's happening in your life. I'm just letting you know, right? Don't run from nature. Don't run from problem-solving. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't run from problem solving. Don't run from the complex issues. Dig deep. Learn. Learn how to seek God in all of those awesome things. Be curious. When the rainstorm comes, don't curse the rain and be frustrated. Worship in that science. Worship in that nature. Because there's going to come a day, June 30th, where it's going to be hot. And it's not going to have rained in days. And you're going to be cursing the heavens that it's not raining. Worship. In the summer, thank God for that heat. Thank God for that season. Instead of complaining and all, be humble and stay curious. And then finally, start at the beginning. This is critical. Start at the beginning. When you're struggling with, does God exist? Does God see me? Does God know me? Does God hear me? Can faith and science work together? Start at the beginning. In the beginning, God. I don't have all the answers to the problems of life, but here's what I know. I once was blind, but now I see can't tell you how or why. I just know that I did everything that I could in my life to mess up, to blow it. And yet, here I am. Because in the beginning, God created me on purpose for a purpose. I just said yes to him. I can't explain the nuances of quantum physics, but I do know that saying yes to Jesus changed the trajectory of my life. Pointed me in a completely different direction. When all else fails, when all else frustrates, start at the beginning. Start with God. Some of you, that's what you need to do. You got a million questions and you think you have to have all the answers. Sit down, be humble, stay curious, and just start at the beginning.
Rest in the powerful truth that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and saw that it was good. And then he created you and saw that it was very good. And then he provided the answer to the thing that separated us and broke us, that sinfulness. And he gave his son that we could be together with him. Faith and science are not enemies. Faith and science are friends. In a few moments, we're going to worship. I'm going to pray and we're going to worship. And I don't want you to stand up unless you want to. I don't want you to rush out of here. We got some time. I want you to sit in this truth for a little bit. Worship. Read the words on this screen as you're singing along or as you're humming along or as you're sitting there silently. Let this sink deep into your soul, who God is, what he's done for us, what he wants to do in us and through us and in this world. Because I promise you, when you sit in this moment and just think about how big and vast everything is, and yet in, in the middle of all that, God comes and condescends and sees you and sees me. I think it'll change something in you. I know it changes something in me. We're going to take this moment to really just respond to this awesome truth that loving God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength means I can reconcile faith and science. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the power of your word. Thank you for hearing us when we call. Thank you for loving us enough, God, to provide an answer to the problems that we deal with through your son, Jesus Christ. If there's a person here, God, who's not said yes to you, I pray this would be the moment, this would be the time that they say, God, I'm tired of running, I'm tired of doing it on my own, I'm tired of trying to figure everything out. God, I'm going to give my life to you just by saying yes. And I know, God, you show up and you bring forgiveness, you bring healing, you make everything brand new. God, you could have made us into anything, and yet you made us these great creatures who can feel, who can experience love, who can experience your power, who have this great community. We can do life with each other. Help us to not rush past that awesome truth. For the one here who feels alone, God, for the one here who feels broken and beat up, I pray that in your story, in 